0: Hey everybody, it's Father Edward Looney, the host of How They Love Mary and author of the new book, How They Love Mary, 28 Life-Changing Stories of Devotion to Our Lady, available from Sophia Institute Press. I am enjoying so much my weekly conversations with different guests about the lessons as we go through the book one by one, person by person. Did you know that you could wear a sock honoring many of the different individuals who are found in how they love Mary, in the month of June, I'll be talking about St. Therese of Lisieux and St. Kateri Tekakwitha and Fulton Sheen. Those three individuals all have a sock at Sock Religious. And when I talk about St. Faustina, well, she's the visionary who received the Divine Mercy. And you can find a pair of Divine Mercy socks at Sock Religious. Head over to Sock Religious by using the link in the show notes and begin wearing socks for the glory of God and in honor of the saints. Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you're listening to the podcast How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. There are lots of Catholic religious shrines all throughout our country, throughout the world. Maybe you've visited some of them. I've been privileged to travel across the pond to many of those holy sites in Europe, in the Holy Land, and elsewhere. And there's many places here in the United States as well. In fact, when I travel throughout the U.S. to give talks, when I'm visiting different areas, I always try to make a point to visit some religious place. Today on How They Love Mary, I'm speaking with Marion Amberg, who is an award-winning freelance journalist and photographer who specializes in religion and human interest topics. Before launching her freelance career 20 years ago, she edited and published a small weekly paper. And so today, we're talking about her book, Monuments, Marvels, and Miracles, A Traveler's Guide to Catholic America, available now from our Sunday visitor. So welcome to How They Love Mary, Marion Amberg. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, you know what? I know that we kind of go back a little bit because we've followed each other, corresponded a bit through social media, through Twitter, especially But the other thing is, is back in the day, a long, long time ago, right when I was launching my kind of foray into writing, I contacted this small Catholic publisher out of Arizona called Tao Publishing at the time. And then they created these other different branches of their publishing house. And I know that you had a book with them. And uh, can you just share a little bit about that book uh, that you had with Tao Publishing? I know it's probably out of print now.
1: The one that you're talking about in um, Arizona, the title of that was Shrines and Wonders. Oh, that's right. The Traveler's Guide to um, Santa Fe in northern New Mexico. And it's a book about the shrines and various sites to visit in Northern New Mexico. Northern New Mexico has long been called the Holy Land of America. And we are loaded,
0: just loaded with holy sites here. Well, I'm detecting a theme then. So you had the Shrines and Wonders, the Pilgrim's (laughs) Guide to Santa Fe in northern New Mexico. And now you've brought in it. Now we're talking about Monuments, Marvels and Miracles, A Traveler's Guide to Catholic America. Can you tell me what was your interest in traveling? Uh, I guess, you know, is that one of your hobbies just to go on road trips to travel? And what sparked your curiosity, especially to put in the Catholic perspective then during those travels?
1: Well, I have written for, oh, many, many articles on on religious sites for both secular and non-secular publications. And one day it occurred to me, if I had to write on one topic for the rest of my life, it would be churches, shrines, chapels, because it encompasses faith. It's culture, because we have all the different cultures in the U.S. It's... Um, History, I mean, it has it all. It it, Art, architecture, it has everything. And each one of these places has a very unique story. And so one day, I just thought, well, let's go for it. Let's just cover the U.S.
0: Wonderful. And I'm always very excited about books like this. And there was actually a book, maybe you've seen it. It's a hardcover. It might have been put out, I'm going off on a limb here, like Bruce Publishing Company back in the 1930s and 40s when they were still out there. And it was like Catholic shrines of North America or something like that. And so what I'm really grateful for is that your book is kind of the contemporary version of that, that now here you're bringing together many of these holy places and bringing them out so that we might be able to stop at them. So let's say a person is going on a trip. So I'm planning to go, let's say to California. Now, how should I go about planning my trip to incorporate that aspect of faith? How do I plan my road trip and interject that dimension of faith through these monuments and marvels and miracles?
1: Well, first of all, I would get the book because it um, it it gives you the, the addresses, the phone numbers, the website. So depending upon where you're going in California, northern, central, southern California, they, um, they are ranked geographically. The, the cities and the sites are listed geographically. The book contains maps. So you can look at a map of California and you know, oh, gosh, you know what? I can, I can get to this place within two hours. So that would help you in your travel. And then decide what is it that you want to see? Are you looking for history, culture? Uh, are you looking for a little miracle site? So I guess that would be the basis that I would start from.
0: For me, I'm usually always looking for the shrine. I want to go and visit the shrine in the area. Now, my experience with some of these shrines, you know, and some of them, I'll be honest, they were really hyped up in my mind. For example, I always tell the story about Our Lady of the Snows down in uh, Belleville, Illinois. I was a young boy, I would go to the mailbox every day and get the mail, I'd bring it in, there'd be a letter from Our Lady of the Snows to somebody in the household. And I always dreamed of going there. And so finally, you know, in my adult years, I made it there. I'm like, Oh, this is Our Lady of the Snows. Or you go to the St. Therese Shrine in Darien, Illinois, for example. and, And you're like, Oh, this is it. I thought it'd be so much bigger, so much grander. But these little shrines uh, to the saints, though they're they're special, because people have gone there for for decades, for for years and they've offered their prayers, and they've lit their candles. And that's what I really appreciate about the shrine. And sometimes you'll learn about the saint, or whoever it might be. For example, I was down in New Orleans, and I was at Blessed Xavier Celo Shrine. So I went there and learned about this guy that I've never heard about before. Uh, you know, maybe just through the liturgical calendar, I had some sort of recollection of him, but I knew nothing about his life. So then I went through the museum, and I learned more about him. And so those are kind of the things I look forward to, especially in regards to shrines.
1: Many, yes, many of these shrines are, are small. Uh, some of them are very unpretentious, but the stories behind them, like you mentioned, the blessed and the saints, um, the stories behind them are very inspiring. So I would I would also incorporate that into planning a
0: road trip. How many places are featured in this book? 507. Okay, five, 507. Uh, 507, <laughs> 507 places. to be exact. Wow. Right. wow, that's incredible. And so do you provide a little snippet about each one then? How do you go about telling their story?
1: Well, because I'm a feature writer, I, I, I love the idea of hooking people. You know, in a feature story, you try to hook people in the opening paragraph. So I took that, that style and I made each description. Most of the descriptions are probably 100 to 125 words. And I tried to write it in such a way that each description is a little feature story in itself. If a saint or a blessed is, um, you know, if they were laid to rest in the shrine, of course, I mentioned that. And I tried to tell a little bit about their life as well, along with um, some architecture and some unique aspect of that particular site. So it was very, very tight writing, a lot of rewriting. But I tried to tell as much as I could to draw people into these
0: various sites. So out of the 507 places that you compiled and document and Monuments, Marvels, and Miracles, A Traveler's Guide to Catholic America, how many of them would you say you've personally visited? Oh,
1: boy. Well, I'll tell you this. I visited every single one of them in my spirit. Uh, when I was researching them, uh, the, the, the shrine or the, or the chapel, the church, the place that I happened to be working on at the time, was like the foremost place in my mind it was like it was the best place that I, I had ever been to how many have I
0: physically visited I'm guessing maybe 75 okay Wow. And that's incredible to think about all the other places you still have left to visit uh, that you're sharing with so many people who are going to pick up this book and use it to plan their own Catholic road trip. Now, are there some favorite stories that come out as you've done your research, maybe even if you visited? Is there a favorite place or two that come to mind?
1: One of my favorite spots, and this book is also designed for people who aren't traveling far from home. Um, for example, if you you have to stay close to home this summer because of work or, or other, other needs, you can still use this book and kind of explore within a 150-mile to 200-mile radius of home. One of my all-time favorite spots um, is about 100 miles from where I grew up. In West Central Minnesota, and I didn't know about this spot until I was in my in my late twenties, and it is a miracle site. It's at Cold Spring, Minnesota, and it tells the story of how Mary's intervention delivered that particular town, and actually all of all of the Upper Midwest from a um, a, a locust plague that descended upon the upper oh geez the, the whole breadbasket of the midwest was suffering from this plague in the 1870s so this little spot on top of a hill um it 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 recalls the the plague and the german priest at the time back in 1874 he suggested to the to his parishioners that they build a little chapel, a wooden frame chapel to Maria health, which is German for Maria help. And um, as soon as they started building this chapel, the locusts, the grasshoppers took off. And it is now um, believed that the Rocky Mountain locust is now extinct. So Mary's intercession just didn't drive the locusts, at a cold spring, it supposedly annihilated
0: the locusts themselves. Wow, it was funny that you bring this up because I was actually going to ask you about a place that I read about in the Catholic Digest online back when the Catholic Digest was both in print, but now just an online e-zine format. But I remembered it. It was called, um, I knew it was in Minnesota, and so it was also associated with the Assumption. So literally just now I typed in Assumption, Catholic Digest, Minnesota. And that's exactly the story that you're telling. The Grasshopper Chapel is what their article that they published was called. And it's actually on one of my places that I want to go visit.
1: Of course, the original chapel is not there. It was blown down by a tornado. But it, there is a very, very strong sense of peace and the sacred on the grounds on top of that hill. Well, what's interesting is over the border in South Dakota, at Jefferson, South Dakota, they were suffering from the same plague. As I mentioned, it it covered a big swath of the, of, uh, of the Midwest. And what the priest did there was he and the Catholics and the Protestant farmers and parishioners in that town, that little farming community, got together. And they went on a long procession around the whole farming area, carrying crosses and singing hymns um, to ward off the plague. And their story goes that a lot of grasshoppers went into the rivers and drowned themselves. So um, there's these, these little tiny spots, these little sacred sites all over the country that many people didn't know about. And they're right in their own backyards, like the grasshopper chapel was in my backyard, and I
0: didn't even know about it. That's crazy. I love the fact that people expressed their faith long ago and we still visit these places in that spirit. There's a place, I'm from Wisconsin, and we have lots of places. I actually went on a little road trip last summer. You know, I needed to get out of the house. I'm like, well, if I. Risk the COVID by getting gas at a gas station. Well, that'll be okay, I guess. But I'm going to go. I'm going to visit some of these places. I belong to a place on Facebook called Forgotten Wisconsin. And so people just post different pictures all the time. And there were a few little chapels, just as you're mentioning. There was one in Plain, Wisconsin. There was another um, on some hill somewhere, St. Patrick's or something like that. And then uh, there was one that was up on the top of a, a, a bluff, and then there was this one that's at a county park. It's on the top of a hill, and it's called Saint Mary of the Oaks. And what happened was there was this diphtheria epidemic back in the you know late eighteen hundreds, and the people prayed to the Blessed Mother, and they said, if you spare our family, we will build you a chapel. And so they built this chapel. And where I live, I live in Door County, we have all Wisconsin, and we have all of these roadside chapels. And I I run a page on Facebook called the the, uh, Belgian Roadside Chapels of Northeastern Wisconsin. And I've done a visit, each one of them kind of gave a little tour, I promote novenas now with them, and I love telling the story about these chapels, and some of them preserve history, others were because they made a promise to God, and God heard their prayer, now they're fulfilling that promise that they made. So it's such a beautiful uh, sentiment for us to be able to really stand on the shoulders of these Giants of our faith, who who left us these great gifts, and for us to be able to pray and to make use of them, even still today.
1: And another thing that we can do, and when we when we visit these sites, there are so many of these places in in my book, where people made promises, or they uh, and they built these sites as a result of these promises, or they stepped out in faith to build a chapel, to build a shrine. And then the miraculous happened. And and I think we can also draw a lesson from these sites that we too can follow in those footsteps and, and learn how to step out more in faith and trust trust more in God.
0: Definitely. And These are those hidden places that you bring out in your book that you can help people find as they go about wherever they travel. And maybe someone picks it up like I'm from Wisconsin. And maybe somebody picks up your book and they find a place they never knew before. So you talk about monuments, marvels and miracles in the title. What are some of the monuments that people could see?
1: Well, one of the one of the greatest monuments, well, I just love this story. It's Our Lady of the Rockies near Butte, Montana. Um, what happened there is a man. His his wife was dying of cancer. She was given a fifty percent chance of surviving cancer surgery. So um, he he prayed and he promised that he would put a five foot tall statue of Mary in his yard if his wife survived. His wife survived, but that five foot statue, it grew from five feet to 90 feet on the Continental Divide overlooking Butte, And it is the third tallest statue in the country. So that's, that's, a, that's a great monument. And it was built almost entirely by people who donated their labor and donated equipment.
0: Wow. There are lots of places, you know, that we have these stories of people's faith, just as you mentioned and One of them, I did my seminary studies down in Mundelein, Illinois, at at the University of St. Mary of the Lake. And so down there in Chicago, there are a few different basilicas, and one of them is the Our Lady of Sorrow's Basilica. And it's my understanding that at this basilica, they prayed all throughout the wars for the people that had gone off to war, and they were praying for their safe return and they prayed the rosary I think every week or every Tuesday, it was on the radio down in Chicago. It was a big thing. I'm thinking that that was probably a custom that that took off in many other different places as well. Are you familiar with any stories about praying the rosary and some shrines during the war? Well, I ran across, during the research of this
1: book, I ran across three um, churches where they prayed the rosary as part of mass during World War II. They prayed it explicitly for the parishioners' soldiers who were fighting in the war. And at all three of these places, every soldier came home alive. Some of them were wounded, but they all lived to tell about it. I have since found two more. And what's interesting, um, the one in Kansas, in Colwich, Kansas, they continued the rosary during the Vietnam and the Korean conflicts. And again, every soldier came home alive. Wow. So it's no coincidence, no coincidence. And there's also the the two other shrines or, or churches where I discovered they prayed the rosary. Um, this was after the publication of the book. They also prayed after World War II during other conflicts, and everybody at those
0: churches came home too. Wow, that's incredible, you know, for us to hear stories like that. I know that in Europe, in Borang and Beno, especially in Beno, I believe. Well, actually, both. I'm going to take that back. I know in Borang during the war in Belgium that the soldiers, as they went through that town, they went and they stopped and they prayed at the shrine of Our Lady there from this Marian apparition. And in Beno, ever since the apparition in 1933, I believe, if I'm not mistaken that they've prayed the rosary uninterrupted every day at 7 p.m. In, in the middle of the war and everything like that. Every day they made sure that the rosary was being prayed at the sanctuary of Our Lady. So there is a great efficacy in the prayers of the rosary, especially during time of war. And uh, I love stories like that that you were able to share it's the year of Saint Joseph right now, and of course, I know that there are shrines to Saint Joseph. Uh, if anybody who has Father Donald Calloway's book *Consecration of Saint Joseph*, he has a whole listing of all the shrines to Saint Joseph. Where I come from, in the diocese of Green Bay in De Pere, Wisconsin, there's a shrine to Saint Joseph. There's a shrine down in St. Louis, but there are other shrines too. What are some of those other places where maybe someone might go during the year of St. Joseph?
1: Well, one of the most popular and probably one of the most miraculous is the miraculous staircase at the Loretto Chapel in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And the story goes, I believe it was in 1876, the Loretto nuns had this Gothic chapel built. And one day, they went in there, and they noticed a tiny defect. There was no staircase to the choir loft. And because the chapel was so small, they could not build a regular staircase. So they began a novena to St. Joseph. And on the ninth day, this elderly man showed up at the convent, and he offered to build them a staircase. So he built this circular staircase and it appears to be floating on air because there is no central support. It's not built into the wall and there is no support underneath the staircase itself. And when the mother superior of the Loretto convent went to pay this man, he had disappeared. Hmm. And she also went to the lumber yards. To find out, you know, if she needed to pay for lumber, but they had no records of anybody ordering lumber. In fact, the lumber used in the staircase, the wood used in the staircase is not native to New Mexico. Wow.
0: Wow. Again, another. So
1: that's a great St. Joseph. (laughs) Great St. Joseph story.
0: That is definitely on my bucket list of places I want to go. I know I've seen stuff online that it's no longer a Catholic chapel that the sisters sold it, and it's kind of run by a secular group and whatnot. But that story, in and of itself, leaves us to marvel this great mystery. And when I was a young kid, I would watch unsolved mysteries. I, I forget what the guy's name. That was the host. I think his name was Robert somebody. But uh, Unsolved Mysteries, I remember an episode that they did on that staircase and trying to I- identify that man. And, and there were theories, theories of who it could be. But I think that people just have resolved to accept the fact, well, maybe it was St. Joseph the worker, you know, the, the carpenter that came mm-hmm. in this apparition or whatever, and uh, built this staircase for those wonderful sisters so that they could sing the praises of God uh, in that choir loft. And
1: another interesting story about the staircase is originally it did not have a railing. and so they, the staircase makes two and a half 360 degree turns. And the story goes it was you know they could they could kind of crawl up the staircase to the choir loft. But coming down, they would kind of bump their bump their way down uh, on the on the steps because it was very frightening to many of them to walk down a staircase
0: without a railing. Sure, sure, totally understandable. I think. Well, this has been such a lovely conversation about some of these places that you can visit in the United States. That wherever you might be, because listeners are from all over our country and even the world, that you can find places close to you, within a day's driving distance. That's one of my favorite things, is just to get in the car and say, I'm going to go, maybe this summer, I'm going to go visit the Grasshopper Chapel in Minnesota, this, this Assumption Chapel, the Mary Help Us Chapel up there, and just to see it. I'll get a little Airbnb and spend the night, and then I'll come back home. But I just love doing things like that. I love experiences. And that's what I think your book can help people do to gain those religious experiences. And think about when you do it with your family, you're doing it, your husband and a wife, your parents of your of, of kids, well, you're handing on, you're teaching them the faith as well. And so that's also a tremendous gift uh, that that you can do when you make, we call this religious pilgrimage, that we go to a holy site, to a holy destination.
1: And the great thing about it is faith is not stuffy. So these places are not stuffy. Uh, many, of, many of them are loaded with humor, and many of them have lots of trivia associated with them
0: wow and just to be able to have that knowledge and then you can pass it on you can say i've been here you should go there i can't tell you how many people i've told about different places and then they've ended up going to them so it's been a, a great gift for me uh, to be able to travel uh, doing my speaking and my touring with books and, and preaching missions uh, in addition to my parish work but uh, as I do that, I take it in and then I wanna share it with other people. I was out in Massachusetts uh, along uh, maybe three years ago now. And uh, I'm a I'm a member of the Mariological Society of America, the vice president of the society at the time right now. And we're out there in Massachusetts and I was able to visit Our Lady of Good Voyage, which is kind of this little chapel on the water. And it's just one of those neat little places uh, with a little history that uh, you wouldn't necessarily find. And the only reason I found them was because they followed me on Twitter for whatever reason. And so I'm like, oh, if I ever get out there, I want to go visit it. And there I was out there. And so I went and I visited that place. One of the things that I always do kind of to end this show, Marian, is to uh, simply just talk a little bit about your own Marian devotion. And one of the things that people will do when they go to a chapel, when they go to a place, like when I go to St. Mary of the Oaks, I like praying a rosary there, or if not a full rosary, at least praying a decade of the rosary. And so one of the questions I always ask people is, do you have a tip to help people pray the rosary better? Because I think a lot of people struggle with it as a prayer. And so if we can help them and say, this is what I've done to to pray the rosary better, it can really be of great help to them. So any tip that you could offer?
1: Well, I think um, what I like to do is if I'm visiting a Marian site, a Shrine Chapel church, and it's it's uh, a, a church dedicated to a particular title of Mary. I like to learn about that title. And, and learning about the title, may, you know, can inspire a person to perhaps take the lesson, to take the spirituality of that partic- particular title, and then you can apply it to your rosary. Um, for example, the Grasshopper Chapel up in Minnesota. Uh, when I discovered that the, it was dedicated to Maria Hilf, I just did a search. I knew I knew that the settlers came from Germany. I did a search, and the unbelievable happened. I discovered that Maria Hilf, um delivered the people of Amberg, Germany, from the from the Black Plague in 1934 and that in 1634 and that is where my settler or my ancestors originally came from amber germany i did not know about that so just learning about about maria hill and learning that she delivers people can inspire somebody if they, they're in need of a deliverance if they're in need of a healing to turn to maria hill or turn to our lady of perpetual help learn about these different Marian titles, and then apply some
0: aspect of that spirituality to the rosary. That's beautiful. I love that. Um, Another question I always ask is simply about uh, Marian apparitions. We know these stories of Mary's apparitions, and so is there any that uh, speak to you? Maybe do you have a favorite apparition of the Blessed Mother? Favorite, oh boy, all of them, because
1: all of them tell a a unique story, you know. It's kind of like when I was writing about each of these 500 sites, seven sites, which one is my favorite? It is the one that I'm working on at the time. So I would say, um, you know, they each have a unique aspect to them, and so it's hard to pick out one that is above any other. Sure.
0: Sure. And there are lots of books that people have written about the Blessed Mother. I've written books about Mary. Saints have written books about Mary. Other contemporary authors. You know, one kind of in the spirit of your book is uh, Marge Fenlon. She's written a book about uh, nine Marian shrines. And so she called it a living novena. Uh, And so she was on the show many moons ago, really in the early stages of the show, but again, uh, she offers kind of that guide of how can I pray, um, not necessarily going to that shrine, but as an armchair pilgrimage. She would always say. So, um, is there a book about the Blessed Mother you would recommend to people?
1: I think it's going to be the book that I'm currently writing.
0: Okay, <laughs> I'm
1: also I'm, I am writing a sequel to to this uh, to the Catholic Travel America book. And this is gonna feature Marian Shrine sites, chapels, church, all with stories that have somewhat of a miraculous bent. And again, many of these are answers to prayer. People just stepped out in faith. They, you know, begged our ladies' intercession, and she answered in some of the most astounding ways.
0: And okay. uh, we're hoping
1: to have that book out in late 2022
0: wonderful well i can't wait to see that one i can't wait to talk to you more about that and might i offer i would happily volunteer to write the foreword uh to that book should your publisher want that so um well thank you very much so thank you well, great. This has been such a enlightening and delightful conversation I've had with you today, Marion, about your book and about all of the uh, shrines that people can visit, the 507 shrines that you feature in your latest book from Our Sunday Visitor. And so if people want to learn more about you, how can they do that?
1: Well, I do have a website. It's marianamberg.com. And they can learn more about the book at our Sunday Visitor website. Uh, certainly, there's a great description of the book on Amazon.
0: Wonderful. Yes. And again, the title of that book is Monuments, Marvels, and Miracles, A Traveler's Guide to Catholic America. Thank you so much for joining me today, Marion. Well, thank you very much. It's been a great pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. I am honored by how many people listen to How They Love Mary. I hope that you'll continue to listen over the upcoming months as we continue to go through, lesson by lesson, my book, How They Love Mary, 28 Life-Changing Stories of Devotion to Our Lady. If you were touched by today's episode, consider sharing it on social media. And if you haven't already done so, please rate and review the podcast so that it might help others find it as well. Again, thanks so much for listening. Know of my prayers for you. Please pray for me. God bless you, and Mary intercede for you.